Welcome to Women Behind the Scenes. I'm Eloise Singer, a filmmaker and founder, and this is a podcast that shines a light on the creators behind some of the most impactful and acclaimed movies of the moment. Award-winning editor Charlotte Mung-Bengston's recent film is a remarkable documentary that tells the story of two brothers who run a bird hospital for black kites in New Delhi, India. All That Breathes is the first film to ever win Best Documentary at both Cannes and Sundance. It's earned nominations at the BAFTAs and Academy Awards. Interestingly, Charlotte never thought she was going to work in film. As a contemporary dancer with an interest in capturing movement through photography, she discovered editing by chance in her 30s and has since worked on acclaimed films including The Act of Killing and The Truffle Hunters. I sat down with Charlotte to hear about her journey from professional dancer to award-winning editor and how she went about finding her creative voice. जब हम पहली चील घर लाए मैं देर रात जागकर उसे घूरता था खूंखार रेप्टाइल लगती थी किसी और प्लेनेट से सो शॉलेट यू आर द एडिटर ऑल दैट ब्रीथ्स या व्हिच इज अ ब्यूटीफुल डॉक्यूमेंट्री थैंक यू एंड इट्स अ फिल्म दैट हैज इफेक्टिवली चेंज्ड हिस्ट्री because it's the first film to ever win best documentary at both Cannes and Sundance that's true how does it feel to be part of a film that is making history in that respect well i haven't thought about it like that i haven't it's crazy of course the journey that has been on i don't know it's just happening and we're just going along being happy for each other and for the film and being able to celebrate the success but i don't really think that you look at it like uh, it's changing history sometimes you can't really predict the film that you make where it will end up so around new year a year ago we were just chatting with each other and saying where is this going to end where is this going to go what's going to happen what's was the life the journey going to be of this film and you never even though you you feel like what well, we did a good film and we're happy but you have no idea where it's going to end up and how successful because it's all about the universe somehow so i think it's yeah people they f- they felt like they wanted to hear this story at this particular time in their own life of course you're like uh, over excited and happy full of happiness for the film for the team and you're just being thankful grateful and enjoying those moments then you can also go through experiences of films where you believe they should have been met by more people or some kind of recognition and it didn't and it's still a good film it just didn't have the right timing it's about timing i think i agree with you yeah honestly timing and serendipity and these things sometimes feel like you just roll the dice and you see where it falls and where it lands and sometimes it can be picked up and obtain all of this recognition and sometimes sometimes it doesn't i'd really love to learn about what inspired you to be an editor and your journey into editing i come from dance and almost all my life i felt like i was a dancer 
And that was something that I started doing professionally when I was in my early 20s. And of course, I also knew somehow that a career as a dancer stops quite early for most people. Perhaps you then become a choreographer or you become a teacher or you work in different areas with the body. But I always knew that I was not going to go that direction. To me, I was a dancer and that was my identity. I was doing contemporary dance. At a later point in my professional career as a dancer, I was having also a company. And it was when I was working with this company, I think after our second performance, we needed to have a documentation made. So I hired a video editor person to make the documentation and make a trailer. And that was the first time I walked into an editing suite. And I just fell in love instantly. I hadn't really paid attention to how you make films, but when I saw how you could create something from putting images together on a timeline, that just blew my mind. I was also into photography. And I think it was discovering that tool of editing where I could put together the, the love for photography and dance movements. And here I could add these two elements in one. So I just, I got struck by lightning and fell in love with editing. And I just knew that was going to be my path after finishing dance. And then at that moment, as you say, when you were struck by lightning, which I think is beautiful, by the way, what then changed? How did you navigate the path into becoming an editor? And what was the journey that you took to learn the skills to edit? First, I just jumped into a final cut crash course. <laughs> just learn some basic. So I didn't quit dancing at this moment. I just continued my dance company and I was also working as a dancer for other choreographers and companies. And then I was doing this crash course and I thought, well, let me apply the Danish Film School. They have a course in film editing. And I did that. I applied with some stuff that I edited, but it was from dance. So I hadn't really worked with any like narratives or real kind of footage. They did take me through some stages in the course, but then they rejected me. I was like, okay, <laughs> bummer. <laughs> then I applied for the National Film School. And I think that they saw that it was quite interesting, the switch I wanted to make from dancing to film editing, but they were not so happy about, I didn't have any experience in the industry. So they gave me advice. They said, if you really want to do it, come back next year, but make sure you go out and you get some industry training because I, I didn't have any. And at this point I was 33. So it was quite a scary moment. I had to quit dancing. I knew I, I had to break. The time was short. I really wanted to go to film school. I had now a year to prove that I could be good enough and I needed experience. So I somehow announced my retirement from dance. Yeah, and it was the most scary moment in my life because that was my whole identity. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know the future out there. I didn't know where do I go now? I mean, how do I get experience <laughs> in the industry? But somehow when I left, when I took that decision, then the doors also opened and people really wanted to help me. And I have this good friend who was a choreographer and she was a choreographer assistant on Dancer in the Dark, Lars von Trier movie. 
And she had been sitting in with the French editor, Francois Chidichy, on the dance scenes. And she said, why don't we contact Francois in Paris? Maybe you can be an intern with him. I was like, okay. <laughs> so that actually happened. I got a chance to sit with him in Paris for four months on a big feature film that he was doing. And I was just his intern. But that was, I think, the best experience one could wish for. So it was an amazing learning curve I had there. Then I also needed to do something to be able to submit to the film school. And I had another friend in Denmark who also did photography. She had been shooting a lot on a Super 8 camera. And she had been shooting in New York for many years on her friends' lives. And she was like, I really want to make a movie about these guys. It was her first film. And she was like, I don't know how to do it. You don't know how to make a film either. Why don't we do it together? <laughs> and we just, we somehow made it. Her name is, by the way, Ada Subi, and she's an amazing documentary maker in Denmark. And uh, yeah, it became a, like a one-hour documentary. Before starting that, I'd only edited like 10 minutes pieces. So I was also quite nervous. I was like, can I really do this? And I was talking to a, a friend of mine, a dancer, and she said, just put 10 and 10 minutes together until you reach one hour. <laughs> and we actually did a really nice film, American Losers is called. So I had then the film to apply with, and I went through another stage of tests at the National Film School, and they accepted me. That was great. That was amazing. I was relieved, but I was also, I still felt very scary because I still, at that moment, I still felt like I'm a dancer. I was like, what am I doing? I'm a dancer. Here, I think I can go to a film school and study film, and I know really nothing about film nothing about directors and there was so much I needed to catch up on. Also in relationship to my age at that point, I started the film school, I was turning 35 and my peers, they were like 26, but they had more experience, they knew more than me. So yeah, I was not so comfortable. I felt somehow I, I, I've cheated, Made, making it to here, I've cheated. That's how I, a little bit I felt because I identify myself as, as a dancer. That feeling of imposter syndrome of thinking, I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I still feel that all of the time. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think even though all of these people had supposedly more experience, and I do put that in inverted commas because I definitely don't believe that to be true. What's so clear when I watch your work is how much dance has influenced how you cut because everything is so fluid and it's so beautifully timed with music and it feels so rhythmic. Do you feel that your past experience as a dancer has impacted your style of editing? It has, for sure. And it's something that I'm getting more aware of. I mean, in the beginning, especially also in the school, everything is new to you and you are studying new tools and you are learning about techniques. And so you get all confused, you know, you're like, You take in so much new information and you're going this direction, that direction, and it's all confusing and you feel lost. You feel lost when you're a student. But I think that is probably not just me, like coming from another background. Looking back, I, I think that's how it is to be a student. You know, <laughs> you feel lost. You're looking for your, your language. You're looking for your personality in this. But it takes time. 
And I wish that maybe someone tell you that at that point in school, that, you know, it takes time, it takes practice, it takes, you know, you'll get there, but it takes time. And it was an amazing two years I had at the National Film School. I really, I recommend this school so highly. It's the best place to be and explore and experience and you work really hard and you're very focused. And so it's all fantastic. And I did had a very good advice from one of the tutors when we were, we had to write a dissertation. I didn't know what to focus on, what to choose. He then told me, he said, it's very important when you have to spend two years working also on your dissertation, choose something that you really like and you want to explore it further, deeper. I was like, I really don't know. I'm like all new in this. I come from dance and it's like, why don't you use that element of dance? You know, how can you transfer that to film? And in that moment, I was like, what does he mean? I couldn't see it, but I started to pay more attention to films, films that were not narratively carried by dialogue, but more by movements and the framing in the image. And that was very exciting to me to study more. And also because I felt like there's something I can relate to here. You know, this is what really excites me and inspires me. And I can see now today that this is something that I started to look at back in film school. And then I've been trying to elaborate on that since in the different film projects that I've had. And through that also been able to find my voice, my own voice in film editing. And I definitely know what my strengths are and what my weaknesses are. And it's those kind of film tellings that are comes more natural to me to work with images and the movements and musicality and rhythms and that kind of building up narratives. It makes more sense to me and it's, it's something that comes more naturally to me. It's also a way of I, I let myself work very intuitively. So if I feel something doesn't feel right, then I just have to keep searching and look for when I can feel that this is right. And very often I can't explain why it is or why it's not. And this, of course, can be challenging sometimes, working with a director. I totally get that. Yeah. And the idea of going with your gut and having this natural instinct of feeling the project and feeling the cut, and then when a director gives notes, having to sort of justify that, but finding it quite hard to justify it and just saying, oh, but it's just how I feel. It's how I feel that it should be. Exactly. I haven't been working much in fiction either. So somehow this creating documentary makes more sense for me, this whole process, where you often, you know, the director, he will come with the rushes that obviously also has been, you know, there's an idea, there's a framework. And sometimes the frame is stronger than other times because documentary directors also work very differently. But you do get handed over more often like the images, the footage of rushes without a script that you don't in fiction. And then you start to mold and create and you're looking for the structure together. Yeah, so there's a lot of dance actually in all of these steps. It totally is a dance. Mm. And I think the beauty about documentary editing and people so often who aren't in the industry sometimes forget is that the story comes in the edit. It really does. The whole story of a documentary is crafted in the edit. And for me, 
my favourite place to be is in the edit mm. when making a documentary because it's when everything that you've been working on and all of these strands of thoughts come together and come to life. It's sort of bringing together a performance and a collection of images to shape and tell a story. Yeah, yeah. How did the film come to you? What was the story behind getting on board with All the Breathes? They got in contact with me at a point where they were researching film editors. So I get approached by Rice Films here in London. So they approach me if if I am interested in meeting Seanock. I get to read a bit about their project and I see a trailer. And at this point, when I see the trailer, I fell in love with it. And I have to start also saying that those first moments when I get presented a project, it has to be that kind of like feeling where I can really feel it, that this is lovely, this is fantastic, this speaks to me, this is something I would love to work on. And I think at this moment, I think Sean, he then gets to see Truffle Hunters and he gets to see From the Wild Sea. And he was very into how we was working in that film with the human-animal relationship. He was very excited about that and felt there was a common language from his film to this film. So there was a base and understanding, a mutual understanding that he could see that he could have with me as an editor. So... Yeah, it was actually a quite easy meeting with him and fast decision, as how I remember. So when they came to me, they had already started the editing in India with the Indian editor, Vidan Yoshi. And that was the idea to continue working until they reached to a first assembly. And then they would come to Copenhagen and meet me and finish it. And so at that point, how did the edit progress in terms of the first assembly you you saw that cut and then how did you take it from there mm. so of course it was a, it's a different way of getting into the project because you're getting handed over some work that's already been done like actually a, a lot of work so it's not me diving in from the beginning and i mean it's it's very luxury to get like a timeline of a almost first assembly put together there were some holes some scenes that were still missing and And then I think I had, this is actually a little funny story, because before they took me on board on the film, they needed to understand if I was okay that Sean would be in the edit all the time. And I said, yes, that's fine. I mean, again, it's very different from how you're used to work with directors. Some they want to be there all the time and some they really don't like to come in as much. So I also understood then okay, maybe it's not going to be an easy process. I could sense that he was very attached to, you know, this is his film, this is going to be made like this. And then there were some visa problems, so he couldn't come, he couldn't arrive to Denmark at the time that we were supposed to start. At the same time, we couldn't really delay because there was some deadlines that they really wanted to keep. So we were kind of like short for time. So it's like, I just have to start without you. So they were trying to set up these kind of like virtual editing rooms and all the technique just, it didn't work out. It was a mess. It didn't work. And I took the advantage there to just go with my gut feeling of changing around things. I was like, now is my moment before he comes. So I did a very fast juggling around and then I sent it to him in India and we met on Zoom and he comes on the screen and he's like, Charlotte, I felt like 
I just had a newborn baby and you took the baby and turned it around and shaking it. And uh, so he was, he was like, what? <laughs> and he had to, he said, I had to lay down on the couch and just meditate for half an hour. And, uh, but it was good. It, you know, it was, it was a good kind of like breaking through the ice there for our work relationship. And I knew also that it, it's a bit risky what I'm doing now, but I, I had to see how he's reacting. And I also start, I said to him, this is something that I did very fast. This is just a test, this is an experiment. But uh, it was really good for our dialogue because it put wheels to the train. And we were also in such a short time, really, we had to progress fast with the edit. And he came to Denmark and we just had a, we had a really good dialogue. We, we did in the editing room, trying out things. And he was putting a lot of trust into me. But we also had a, some very funny clashes between, you know, me being having it very difficult to put words to why I would do this or that. I would just say, because it feels right. And he's very well spoken and very intelligent and he knows what he talks about. So he could talk for a long time and tell me why it has to be like this or like that. And I would listen to him and I say, I hear you, I hear you, but I don't feel it's right. But we created a nice dialogue, I think, a nice creative dialogue in the editing room, being two very different filmmakers. But somehow I think it turned out to be the right constellation. And we managed to make this beautiful piece together. So the vision, was the same, you know? I could see his vision and I could share that vision with him. And I knew that we could bring it to that place where he really wanted it. I can safely say that you definitely, the stars aligned and you definitely made a beautiful film together. Yeah. And I think that is the power of a good editor. It's to challenge a director and to really question why the decisions that they're making in the edit are the decisions that they want to make and put forward options. I'm in the edit with a documentary at the moment and I do have those challenging conversations with my editor as well. Yeah. And I'll say, oh, that just doesn't, it doesn't feel right to me and I'm not sure about that. And he'll say, you know, I'm challenging you and I want to mm. put forward a different option so that you can see this Yeah. and see what works better. And those are, those are important things to do and that's what the best editors do. Yeah. I'd love to know how long your edit process was, because by the sounds of it, it was quite a tight turnaround to deliver the project. Did you feel under pressure in regards to the time constraints? Yes and no. I think I came up on board end of August 2001. And they were going for the Sundance deadline, which was already in September. Then they had gotten permission to, I think, deliver a first card around October, maybe. We were somehow in a rush to arrive to a good first rough cut that we could send to Sundance. So yeah, we were working fast at that moment. And it was good that it was both me and Medan. And at the same time, we also had like an amazing team back in India who was sitting simultaneously working on sound and just feeding us with everything that we needed. So we managed to put it together for a rough cut and we submitted it. And then we were like, now we did it. Now we can't do much more. Now we take the time to do the film. <laughs> you know, that was really how it kind of felt. I think also because we thought, well, it's really a rough cut. It's a long shot. 
So in our heads and our minds, we thought now we really have the time to make the film where we feel it should be and it, it feels right. So then we didn't continue being stressed about the timeline until much later, maybe beginning of December. I, I can't remember, but then they came back and they said, we accepted your film. <laughs> we just couldn't understand it. We really couldn't understand it. And in our heads, we were supposed to continue the editing through January, maybe February. So then we were a bit in a rush. Up against the clock. Yeah. Did you have to work over Christmas at that point? I did work a little bit between Christmas and New Year, but the other guys, they were working harder, I must say. They stayed behind in Copenhagen. And since they didn't have family to be around and they were like, we don't celebrate Christmas anyways. So, okay, my kids, they want that Christmas. So they, they worked hard between Christmas and New Year. I came in for a couple of days and then beginning of January, we picture locked and started the mix. And I sat through the mix also because it was so intense and short. And I really knew better about many of the sound decisions. So it was, it was more efficient like this. But we were all together at this moment. I think the mix was just five days, so it was also very, very short, but we couldn't make it longer. And Tight. Yeah. All of it so tight. Yeah. With a project like this, which is in Hindi, was that a challenge for you to navigate a film that was in a completely different language? No, because I was working with um, subtitles, actually. I had subtitles already on on the timeline. And I think, I, I mean, I don't think so much about it when I work with uh, films that has a different language from mine because I just got used to it. I mean, that I'm working with Russians, whether speaking Indonesian or Russian or Italian or... So, yeah, I don't see it as an extra challenge. I think in most cases, anyways, I always start looking at the Russians. So it doesn't really matter if I understand completely what they're talking about. But I can sense it immediately if it's something that I want to explore more, if it's something that I feel is important. And very often I can dive into rushes that I don't understand and I just feel there's something here that is important and I bring it out and then I find out that it was actually quite important what was being said or, you know, so that's where I work kind of intuitively as well. And then I have to trust also in the director, that the director will let me understand if there's something I left out that was important. So it's it's that kind of dialogue you also have with the director. And with Shonat coming over and working with you on the project, he was in the room every day with you. Yeah. I was also working with Vidan in the same room. So this is actually something that I haven't tried before. So that was a, an experiment too. Challenging by moments, but I actually think it, it went very smooth. We could have asked for two setups, two separate rooms, but somehow it was nice how it worked between the three of us because it became more spontaneous and more natural. You know, like whenever Vedan needed me or I needed Vedan or Shauna, it became very, it was very fluid somehow. Then I would often have the mornings on my own because I would deliver my kids early to school, go straight to the edit room. I also took advantage of those hours in the morning 
where I would progress with things on my own. And, and then once they came in, we would be working together in dialogue and looking at things together and discussing. And so often our day was like this. And then I would leave to pick up my kids and they would continue into the evening. So it's quite nice to have that sort of rhythm. Yeah. And it yeah. feels like it just flows. It was flowing very well, yeah. It is the film, the way that it's shot, that is so beautiful in terms of the cinematography and the feeling that you almost feel like a bird. You feel like one of the kites being positioned in different corners of the room and the way that the camera rotates around a room and captures it. It's observing these scenes passively without being an active participant, hmm. just like a bird would. Was that visual language established before you started editing or was that something that you crafted along in the edit? The film language was discovered and, and carried out before I came on board. And that was in collaboration with Ben Banner. And he's also an amazing cinematographer. And then also the Indian cinematographer, Rio, who was also doing a lot of the shooting in the same style. And so they found that language quite early on. And uh, of course, those images were really inspiring to work with. And it also allowed me to keep these long shots and go with that. I mean, I would be very rude to make a cut in the middle of, of one of these shots. So there I'm also handed over already an idea for how the images are going to be put together, you know. And I like that. I like to dive into material and exactly find that, stay true, stay honest, authentic with what already has been created. I don't like to come and put something on top, you know. I, I really try to drag out or to take out what's intentionally has been envisioned for the film. So it was important to find the right language of protecting that. Yeah, the idea of having this sort of, in a way, a path laid out with the visual language and those shots holding them for so long it is so compelling because you are able to take in these spaces and these worlds. Was there a scene that was particularly hard to cut that you can recall? Yeah, there was a couple of scenes. Towards the end, there's something we call happy montage. And it came to me as this idea of montage and these, this show that the happiness and that to me it was very difficult. I felt like by making all these cuts, we would just ruin the, the language. So there was a long struggle finding the right tone for that. And I think actually that Vidan, he really pulled that one out. And I love the intention behind it as well, because it is, it's seeing contrasts and having beautiful slow moments that you can absorb. And then the contrast with this montage that has this spike of energy. Mm -hmm. And it's that uplifting moment that conveys so well. It's true. It was just to find that, that it was not gonna be too cheesy. Yeah. To, to find the right balance there. And I think that um, Vidan, he eventually found that. To me, that it was, it was a difficult one to pull, yeah. Mm. What for you was the biggest lesson that you learned making this project that you will take on to your next project? I mean, I think you you have a good lesson every project you're in, and it's as simple as it's just it's another experience. I mean, every project you have to collaborate with new people, and I guess it's just that openness because we're so different. 
I think what they have given to me and taught me is this, this group feeling, I think. I haven't been working on a project before where we are this many people in an editing room. Also, at one point, a man came, the producer, so then we were actually four in the same room. So many things happened at the same time, talking about festivals at the same time as talking about cuts or music. Everything was happening at once. And it was actually quite exciting. You felt like you were part of the whole process and you were like, it was, this film was being made by, you know, like a family. It felt like there was like a family bond that also grew outside of the editing room, sharing dinners and sharing our families and private life with each other. So I think this is something that I will take with me to the next project, this openness and also being able to share on so many levels, not only on the editing, but being able to embrace much more. Instead of becoming a part of each other's lives in a way. Yeah, yeah. The idea of community and bringing people together and ultimately it is a team that makes a film. It's a team, yeah. And I think this this team is quite unique, quite special because they do really also care for each other in in, a, in another way that I've experienced in, in other projects. Yeah. So that was very lovely. I, I feel like they become my extended family, for sure. That's lovely. Mm-hmm. And especially now that you're sort of all able to see each other every couple of months. It's so nice. It hasn't been that often, but... <laughs> when it happens. Yeah. I'm interested to know... So I'm at the moment in the edit with a documentary and I have a bit of anxiety about the thought that maybe I can't do anything better than this. Maybe this is the thing that is going to be the best thing that I can do because I spent five years on it and then my next project may not be as good. And I'm wondering if you've ever felt that or if you have any advice for me on how I can deal with that anxiety. Don't think about it. Also, you can't really compare your work to each other. You can't compare them because they're very special and unique in their own ways. And I think that it's also uh, your personal relationship to that because I, I've been doing some projects that I really feel very strongly for and deeply about. And I, I feel they're perhaps sometimes a better film than another film that was not that was doing much better, you know? So I don't think you can, how can you measure it actually? How can you measure? So you shouldn't go down that road and, and think about it because your next project is gonna be another thing. And maybe you're just going to spend six months on it and it's going to be amazing. Who knows? Who knows? I think that's very good advice. The idea of not getting caught up on effectively the outcome, but sort of just enjoying the process. Exactly, yeah. What are you working on at the moment? Only last week I picture-locked a film by a Danish director called Medikala Albregsen. We were very happy where it landed. We almost felt like this was too easy somehow, you know, and we've been nervous about that aspect, actually, because we've been challenged in many other ways. I think in every project, you're always challenged. You never know where the challenge will be when you start. And then other things go very smoothly. And here we arrived to the film that we visioned from the beginning, exactly how we actually wanted it. And yeah, it just felt like it really fell into place in the right balance. And then now we're like, have no idea where it's going to go and how it's going to be received. But we're very happy. And I think that's that's the best. You know, when you feel like this, leaving a project. Honestly, I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. If you're proud and happy about the project and you can put it out in the world and think, yeah, I'm really proud of that. 
Exactly. I don't think there's anything greater than that. Yeah. What is one thing that you love about the industry? And what is one thing that you would love to change about the industry? It's funny because, I mean, actually, yes, I guess I am a part of the film industry, but being an editor, you're also so isolated somehow. And then I get my team in, my director in. In the case of All That Breathes, I get many people in. And then I feel all of a sudden part of the industry. But otherwise, I feel that as an editor, you are very on your own. So maybe this, uh, to achieve this kind of more unity or being part of the bigger industry, I don't know. I mean, at the same time, I also am quite happy with my own position in being kind of like locked behind a, in a dark room. It's actually not dark, you know. I like to have open windows and light coming in, but it's also a personality thing, you know, like you're not as extrovert as you are perhaps when you are a director or producer. This is really not answering your question. I love it anyway. <laughs> so for me, I find it really frustrating that there aren't more female editors in the industry. Mm -hmm. I think it's a massive issue. And I would just want to encourage more women to be editors. And it feels like even women who are coming in and editing, it's hard to get a break. It just feels like there's a lack of representation there. And yeah. I'm wondering if you've ever felt that way. I think perhaps the scene in Denmark is also a bit different. You do see more women working, particularly in, in documentary. I would say you see more producers, women producers than men. You also do meet a lot of women directors. And I have a good amount of, of women editors also. So I think I'm spoiled in that sense that I'm. it's a little bit more balanced, I think at least in the documentary scene in Copenhagen, oh, in Denmark. For sure, in fiction, it's different, but I, I'm not there. I don't know what it's like in that department. That's nice to hear, though. Yeah. Do you think that documentaries, are they your happy place? Is that where you're going to stay? At the moment, I can't see myself moving to fiction, no. I'm very happy with the documentary. I mean, that whole creative process, and it's just what, what's natural to me and what also feeds me and my what I can give is also because I get inspired and I get the room for the creativity. Yeah. And I guess it's a space where you can really explore storytelling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love it. Charlotte, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for chatting with me. It was lovely. All That Breathes is a beautiful film. Thank you. And the fact that you have won an Ida for Best Editing. It's incredible. Thank you. Thank so you. Congratulations. Thank you so much. So listen, if you enjoyed this episode and you fancy subscribing, then that would be fantastic. But more importantly, if there's someone out there who you think might enjoy learning about these incredible filmmakers, please do send this series their way. Women Behind the Scenes was hosted by me, Eloise Singer. The executive producers are myself and Kathy Anderson. The producer is Ben Weaver-Hinks. Production manager is Hannah Alexander. Post-production was done by Matt McGuinness. Editing, mixing and mastering was by Tom Fred Bradshaw at iGame Audio. Music was from premiumbeat.com and our production assistant is Lucy Davidson. And we want to give a special thanks to the Dorchester for hosting us for this episode. 